One of the things we like to say around here at First Church is putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. So this is the first ever episode of The Bottom Shelf, where we try to make things that might be a little difficult, simple. And we're going to talk about uh, something that, for some, may be a little difficult. I've got, and, and so we're going to put the cookies on the bottom shelf on the issue of women in leadership. So I've got my good friend, Bill Search. Bill, tell us a little about yourself. I'm uh, a Michigan native. Grew up in, uh, I grew up in Lansing, a great town to be from. Uh, I would say Lansing <laughs> City motto is we give up. Uh, no, it was a great town to be from and uh, lived part of my uh, early ministry life in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then since then, it's been quite a journey. Kentucky, California, Wisconsin, now Oklahoma City, which now that I see it, sounds like I can't hold down a job. <laughs> but there was some sort of rhyme or reason to the whole thing. So, And you're at one of the just flagship churches in the Church of God movement, yeah. which we're really excited about, the work yeah. at the Crossing Community Church in Oklahoma City. Just a great, great, great church. Sure. And sidebar, you are also the newest member of the church council here at First Church. We have couple members outside of the church body, and Bill's one of the experts from outside. Oh, no, that sounds very intimidating now. I I think you uh, might expect too much. (laughs) So, Bill, can you just give us just a a thumbnail of some of your credentials? You've pastored, you've written, you've published. You know, I've I've served just about every role in the church besides women's women's pastor. I've had had youth pastor moments uh, briefly in college and young adult pastor. That's when I first came into the church I served up in West Michigan. And then uh, I have served as a small groups pastor, an education pastor. I was a senior pastor for a few years in California. So I can now check the box. I did global missions and senior pastor. Nice, uh, nice. And then um, I've been a teaching pastor, executive pastor, and currently my title is location pastor because we like to choose uh, titles for things that the congregation has no idea what that means. But it basically <laughs> means I'm, I'm responsible for the main location yeah. uh, for a big, big piece of the ministry at the main location the larger of the locations at Crossings. Great church. I love serving there. It's a wonderful church. And I get to preach from time to time, teach all manner of stuff, oversee our grad residents. I write some of our uh, uh, doctrinal papers, that sort of thing. And so when it was beginning to think about this, one of the things that came across, you sent me, we had a conversation, and you sent me a paper that uh, you did for the church on women in church leadership. That's right. So, which I have right here. That's right. This it's, multi-page document. And so, just got the idea. Well, how about yeah. we, yeah. when you're in town, have a conversation yeah. around around Love this? It. I think it'd be helpful for people both inside, outside our yeah. congregation. That'd be that'd be great. So, I love it. So, when we start out, so this women ministry idea, it's it's been a little bit in the news yes. even lately. Yes. Let's talk about that. Well, you know, the biggest probably news is the Southern Baptists. They throughout uh, one of their largest congregations because they uh, officially made a few women pastors. Now, they weren't like senior pastors. They right. were just like what some churches would call associate pastor levels, but yeah. that was a bridge too far because in that tradition, as of late, in their own history, what's weird is in the 19th century, yeah. they did have women pastors right. leading Southern right. Baptist congregations, right. but they forgot that bit. So it's in the news as they threw out Rick Warren, who's a pretty famous pastor, wrote a a best-selling book. And uh, then Rick asked humbly, hey, don't throw us out. Let's talk about that. Yeah, Yeah. let's respect our differences. He wasn't um, on any kind of bandwagon. 
So that kind of created a, a moment in the news. Yeah. It's left a lot of people outside the church scratching their head going, I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah. And so and within the church, it's created some divided opinions, to be sure. Yeah. Yeah, you can go on, you can search, you can do Google search. Yeah. There's Times articles, CNN, yeah. just all over the place yeah. that have written and yeah. have, it's been you know, talked about. And I saw then uh, Stephen Furtick's church, which is another yeah. fairly good sized little yeah, they, uh, church. Uh, they, they just they, withdrew they pulled, on their, yeah, yeah, they pulled out on their own. Yeah. So They didn't really even explain themselves. They were just like, hey, thank you. We really love you guys. We're leaving now. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, this is always hurt. This always pangs our spirit and our tradition we talk about unity and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, oh, it we don't celebrate when there's drama right. in other church families we that saddens us but yeah. it also slows down the purpose of the church which is to spread the word and yeah. disciple people and right. so right. it's right. a shame but yeah I understand so the big kind of the the, the issue is uh, can women serve in roles in the church and yeah uh, and there's you could debate. We don't want to put too fine a point yeah. on it. You can debate what roles, but just yeah. we're just going to generally talk about any role where you're yeah. teaching or up in front of people and that type of thing. So, uh, so there's two there's two big fifty cent words that define the two positions. Yeah. Whether you can women yeah. can be leaders in the church or whether they cannot, can you? Yeah, yeah. They're, take they're us actually, to school a little bit, and the, the words themselves kind of define themselves. There's yeah. the complementarian view and the egalitarian view, and the complementarian view is pretty simple. It just means men and women complement each other in ministry. So, in that setting, uh, a woman might serve as the director of children's ministry or work with youth, uh, but minors. Or maybe serve as a women's director. But they oftentimes in those settings don't carry the title pastor, but director. And so they complement each other because each men and women have their distinct roles within the church. And in complementarian settings, for instance, women never are on oversight boards or elder boards or deacon boards, whatever you might call those things. Uh, And then in egalitarian, it's egalitarian, it's equal, meaning men and women have... Um, equal possibility of serving in roles, uh, preaching and teaching from the platform in front of men and women, serving in leadership capacities, in oversight capacities. So those are the two big 50-cent words. Yeah, Yeah. good. And so just not to bury the lead, for those of you who might not be familiar with the Church of God, so we believe that we have, we believe that Women can serve yeah. in any role from our inception in the late 1800s yeah. till today. Women have served in those roles. A pretty good percentage of women uh, senior pastors early on. Even. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that's been the tradition you know of the Church of God. You know what's funny about that is, of course, uh, today or in the last, say, 30, 40 years, many denominations have opened up the role to women because it's following the trend line of culture. Right. But we were actually not following the trend line of culture. We were we were opposite culture in all reality. We we were we were bucking the trend. Right. We Very had, much so. We not yeah. only had women leading, but we were racially integrated too. So in the yep. late eighteen hundreds, to yeah. have black and white uh, worshiping together and men and women serving in equal capacity. I mean that must have that caused a lot of people to scratch their heads. I mean that right. from the outside looking in that must have looked really radical. Today yeah. it's it shouldn't be radical at all, but yeah. in that day and age. So we weren't we didn't do it cuz we were trendy. We were not trendy. We were we were trendsetter <laughs> uh, trend setters yeah. maybe, but right. we didn't mean to do that either. Right. And now Bill you you haven't you, you didn't grow up with no. this uh 
uh, tell us how you grew up and how yeah. you came to this position because yeah. it wasn't the, the way you were raised. No, no, to be sure. I, 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 I slowly came into this. Uh, I grew up Baptist, uh, North American Baptist, very small little group of earnest uh, German Baptists, and uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran Elementary School. And in neither religious setting did I ever see a woman in any kind of genuine, like, oversight leadership capacity. Over kids, yeah. Some youth, yeah. But never beyond that. Never on any platform. Then I went to Moody Bible Institute for my undergraduate, and that was definitely a complementarian environment. Women could not even be pastoral studies majors. They could study Bible and theology, but they could not be pastoral studies majors because they shouldn't be pastors. Couldn't, that was, couldn't take a preaching class. No, meals, yeah. no, no. Yeah. They could take a public communication class, but they could not take <laughs> preaching because they should not serve that. That was Moody then. Yeah. I don't know what Moody is today. That was right. a long time ago. Right. Um, and so, um, and then I went on to Wheaton College, and that was the first time I, in graduate school, encountered more women in leadership roles. But, but actually, as as now an adult, I look back at my life and realize there were these seeds being sown where I saw women serving in all kinds of capacities in my life. And some of the people who've had the most profound impact on my spiritual upbringing have been women, even after the age of 18. And so um, that caused me to do a little soul searching, but because I wanted to remain deeply biblical, I wasn't willing to just be trendy. Right. So some right. people, right. you know, there's different ways people go about this. They, they kind of go, get with the program, this is where we are. But you have to be careful with that because culture constantly is moving. And if you're always keeping right. up with culture, you're eventually going to defy what the Bible teaches. Sure. Yep. And in this instance, there are some Bible passages that make it a little bit more difficult to navigate that issue through. But, but I was determined to study what did the Bible really say what for instance was the apostle paul really trying to communicate not because i wanted him to say something different i went in open-handed yeah what does it say and as i did more and more and more study i realized really some of the finest conservative christian new testament scholars have come to the conclusion that paul's been misunderstood particularly the passages that prohibit some of these things so so that it was a very slow roll into it so it's sort of ironic that a guy who didn't grow up in this church movement but grew up Baptist Lutheran who ended up writing the doctrinal paper at a church mm-hmm. such as Crossings <laughs> right. on how women can serve in all roles based upon what the Bible teaches. It's, it's sort of God's sense of humor, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So I think one of the ways that it's helpful to understand an ar- a position or an argument is to think about the opposite. Where, yeah. you know, where's that? Where's the other person come from? Because yeah. I think a lot of times we misrepresent what the other person is Certainly. saying, what the other yeah. position is. Yeah. So could you, if you could imagine the uh, the Grand Poobah, I don't know exactly yeah. what his title yeah. would be, of the Southern Baptist. Yeah. If he were sitting here, yeah. and you were having the same conversation, yeah. and, and if you were sharing the position of the Southern Baptist, or where yeah. they kind of landed, yeah. the majority of them landed. Mm-hmm. How would you describe uh, where they're coming from? Kind you, mean, of that you mean if I was advocating for the complementary? Yeah. To be yeah. fair, so, uh, yeah, to just you know, to be fair, I would say, well, we have the tradition, the vast majority of the tradition of the church on our side here. Uh, the Pope was always a dude, and then the reformers were all fellows. And the even the early translators of the Bible were men, and the most n- known people in the history of both church and New Testament have male names attached to them. 
And uh, there's a few passages of Scripture that say women aren't supposed to be in front of men or teaching men or having authority over men. So I'd say, what do you do about that? Okay. So, And that's why I slowly changed my mind on these things because, well, that's a lot to answer for. Yeah, yeah. And so then over time, yeah. as you really looked at God's yeah. Word, you, you saw something a little different. So let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about that yeah. position as we've mm-hmm. been fair with yes. trying to be fair with, mm-hmm. with, the, with the other position. So we're not, we wouldn't advocate that somebody that believes that women uh, should not have some of those roles, yeah. that, they, that they are not followers of Jesus or they don't no. love Jesus or oh, they, no. they've come to a yeah. different conclusion on this. No. I think it was what Augustine at least is attributed with saying in in the essentials unity yes in the non-essentials liberty yeah. and in all things charity or that's love right. yeah. and so we I we really want right. to yeah. live that no, way I, and then is as you said the heart of the church yeah. of god that, yeah. that unity and so, this is uh this is a, a as important as it is we would say the essential stuff is all the doctrine around salvation for so sure. yep. um so that's why we can be loving, you know, in yeah. this regard. If someone says, well, uh, Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to fellowship with that person, but right. but I would still love them, right? right? So, yeah, anyway. yeah. Okay, so with all those kind of caveats in place, yes. let's talk about, so this uh, egalitarian position, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what does Scripture say? Well, there's a, let's just kind of tackle the biggies, because yeah. there's, there, these are the big passages here. This is, I'll just read out of... Uh, so you might first, get your Bible if yeah, you've got... Yeah. First Corin- if you're following along, this yeah. is 1 Corinthians 14, 34, 35, and uh, 36, I added on. Oftentimes they don't include that, but I think it helps us understand a thing or two. So Paul writes this. This is to the church in Corinth. He says, Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask uh, their husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? And so, you know, it's interesting here is in this passage... This looks like a slam dunk. Yeah. That's it. Drop I mean, the mic moment. Walk off the Paul. stage. Yeah. yeah, that's this. What's interesting is if we actually just kind of went back up to First uh, Corinthians eleven five. So this is Paul in the same letter. He says, "But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved." Now I don't have time to talk about all the head covering thing, but. What is fascinating there is Paul is giving a here's the way a woman should go about the public manner of praying or prophesying in the church. So right. if Paul said, in fact, when Paul says this, it's caused a lot of people to wonder, did Paul, how did, what, what did Paul mean by yeah. a woman should remain silent? Because then you can't have it both ways. That's, yeah, that's, you can't have says be silent the in the church, but yeah. if you aren't silent, keep your head covered. So Paul wouldn't make uh, somewhat of a workaround solution when he says, this is how this is, this is how this is. So the fact that he says a woman ought to, essentially the brief on the head covering was she ought to not be culturally rebellious. There's a time and a place to be culturally rebellious, but in the spreading of the gospel, we should be extremely careful about basically offending the surrounding culture. If they're offended by us having disregard for their culture, for instance, you go to, let's say you go into a, a Muslim part of the world and you're a female, but you're wearing a mini skirt and right. um, uh, a short top. 
They're uh, never going to listen to the gospel. The gospel. Yeah. They're going to be offended, right. and they're going to think very ill of the speaker, right? right? So in this regard, that's what's going on. So so when Paul says, by all means, prophesy and pray, just do so with this cultural sensitivity, then he turns around and says, be silent. It, it, what This has kind of left scholars scratching their heads, and, and so... Um, one possibility here is that um, what he's saying is that he's addressing a cultural issue that is transpiring in the church of Corinth at that time. And that one of the issues that's happening here is disruption in the church. That uh, Think of it this way, is in that culture, men had more free access to education than women did. And so now men and women are in one setting together and they're learning together. But the, the wife, in this case, uh, what we understand from early church history and the writings of early church history is culturally uh, men and women wouldn't sit together in church, which incidentally which happens around the they, world. They didn't sit together today. in the Colosseum. Right. Men had a section and women had a section. Right. So if a family went to the Colosseum, the ladies had a different entrance. So, so that was for entertainment and sport. In church, it was the same deal. This was just the way they did it culturally. Yeah. So imagine women are on one side, men are on the other, and something is taught that's not clear, and the woman screams, <laughs> Herb, hey, Herb, what is propitiation, Herb? Can you explain that? He said propitiation. And, and actually, we laugh, but this is one of the very solid reasonings that what he's saying, he's not saying that a woman um, ought not ever exert herself in the church or use her gifts in the church he's addressing disruption right. in the worship in this larger service. conversation yeah, in this larger yeah. and so in other words there's a time and a place right. when he says hey learn in submission at home it'd be like hey there's a time and a place for this this is not the time and this is not the place yeah. and so it also now this is really interesting is um there was a um uh, a greek i'm trying to look through my notes here oh it's cato the elder that's right so uh, cato the elder was uh, an author, he was a statesman author who existed about 250 years before Paul. So think about it in terms of like the difference in time between us and say um, uh, Alexander Hamilton or Ben Franklin. So we might quote both of them or George Washington or something like that. We might quote an author from 250 years ago. Um, we might even make an allusion to a historical reference, and we would all get it, but maybe people in the future wouldn't get it. So, um, you know, if, if I were to say to you, I have never lied, I did chop down the cherry tree, you know, you'd know that's some George, sort of a reference George to Washington. George Washington, right? Yeah. So, uh, but he did lie because he threw the dollar across the Potomac. There's no way I've seen the Potomac. Not a chance. Not a chance. So anyway, um, so quoting um, Cato the Elder here, Cato was, uh, he has this line in, uh, in one of his talks where he basically said he was so frustrated of women being out in the marketplace that they should stay home and, and take Be care quiet. of their houses. Right. Be quiet and stay home. Yeah. So it's in his writings. We know this. So this is why I brought in, uh, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but verse 36, when, when Paul says, or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people to have reached it? What he may be doing is actually Referring. giving the opposite. N.T. Wright says he's given, that's a British scholar, he's actually giving the opposite advice. He's saying, women, be quiet, learn in submission at home. 
and he's actually sarcastically quoting Cato the Elder. And then his next sentence is, did the gospel originate with you? Why, why are you coming up with your impressing your cultural norms on the gospel? Don't do that. So it could be weird enough that a sarcastic comment didn't translate 2,000 years later, which sarcasm doesn't very well. So mm-hmm. we, either way, um, we, if we were to take this verse to heart, and, and I don't know even any complementarian congregation that do, because what this lit, if you took this literally, right. it would mean that once the woman enters into the sacred space, she should not speak, period. If you were to say, hey, can I have a stick of gum? She could offer you the gum but not say yes, because now she's speaking. Now, that's ludicrous, of course. But that actually, this passage can't be taken with the harshest level of literalism. So if I lean into this passage to silence women, I better find a backup. Yeah, yeah. And there is one. So take us to the backup. So the backup, more. Pa- yeah, the yeah. backup passage a, yeah. is um, is from First Timothy once again from Paul. Which which actually you know, this is one of the things that's interesting is that some people who come to the conclusion women should serve do so out of complete disregard to the Bible. They just say Paul was a sexist. He was a man stuck in his time. Yeah. But if we do that, we're, let's just focus on Jesus. Let's let's it, kind of throw Paul. If we do that. Yeah we right. will really be in trouble because down the road we'll want to adjust the Bible and adjust the Bible and adjust the Bible. Right. And once you start that habit, it doesn't end until right. finally you don't have Christianity anymore. You have something of your own making. Right. So here's what Paul says in First Timothy. This is Timothy's his protege. He's a pastor. He's in Ephesus ministering. We know all that from the history of the church. This is the first letter Paul wrote to Timothy. Second chapter, verses 11 through 15, Paul says... A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But, a, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Oh, where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot, lot to unpack. There. There's a lot going on in there. And, <laughs> and really, uh, as I mentioned before, British scholar N.T. Wright has done some good, solid work explaining yeah. this in some of his writing. Uh, Scott McKnight, who is a Chicagoland, uh, I think he's a Michigan native, actually. But Scott is a great New Testament scholar. He's done some good work on this. So if someone wants to dig into the weeds of this, yep. but just putting it on the bottom shelf yep. here. Yep. So there's an issue going on in Ephesus, and we know this from um, Greco-Roman writing yep. at that time. And there is what's called the New Roman Woman. And think of it like I'm a, ch- I'm a Gen X or I'm a child of the 1970s, uh, yep. right? Yep, So I do. remember yep. Women's Lib, <laughs> Women's yep. Lib and Gloria Steinem and all yep. these people. And so the idea was a noble one, which is women should have equal standing and opportunities, right? But growing up in the 70s, people were very opinionated about women's lib. And so the new Roman woman is kind of like what scholars coin or use as a kind of a title to reference what was we would think of maybe as a woman's lib movement. Yeah. But it was very aggressive, and it was very sexualized. And we, again, we know this from Roman writing, not biblical writing, but outside the Bible, we read this stuff where 
It was very sexually provocative. There was encouragement for women to be very assertive and aggressive sexually in attire, in demeanor, forcefulness. And this is happening, and Ephesus is one of the epicenters of this. So think about the Temple of Artemis is in Ephesus, which is a a cultic um, goddess who's worshipped female goddess. Paul nearly gets himself killed by these people when he's planting the church here. So this is a big, big part of the culture. So there's uh, female worship in the form of Artemis, sexual worship in the form of Artemis, and all of this is taking place, and the church is in the shadow of this. So when Paul is speaking to women, the first thing he says that we should like kind of take note of and pause on is a woman should learn. Now this is a this tells us a couple things. First of all, Paul wants women to be instructed, to be dis- discipled would be the word. Mm-hmm. But there's an encouragement there. It's not he's not anti-woman. They should learn. And again, men had ample opportunities to learn. Women had right. far less opportunities right. in the Roman Empire to to learn. Hence the new Roman woman is trying to like sort of exert herself. And so with that being said, Paul says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And then when he says, this is really key, I don't permit a woman to teach or assume authority. That word authority actually in Greek is authoritentio, which is where, I mean, it's a, it's where we get our word authority from. That's an old word. And it jumps from Greek into Latin into English. And so what the definition of the word, the broad definition of the word, is one of an exertion of, of dominance. So imagine, hey, uh, you know, bottom rail's on top now. So we women were the underclass now because of this new movement. Now we're in charge. So there's this exertion of dominance. Now, in Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there ought to be mutual submission of the body of Christ. And Paul doesn't qualify it and say, but women, you have to submit to all the men, and men, you never have to submit to a woman. It's submit to one another. It's comprehensive. And so this is part of Paul's heart. This is part of the early church's foundation. So the idea of one gender exerting dominance over, and then Paul tracks back. He goes, hey, you remember the creation story? Part of the creation story is sin enters in the world. And if you remember, one of the repercussions is this need or desire to dominate over one another. Mm-hmm. He's going to dominate over you, and you're going to want to dominate over him. That's part of the curse. That's that's not part of the blessing. So it is interesting that sometimes we attach that to part of the blessing. I guess for some men it is part of their blessing. But, but we, when we push male dominance, we're actually pushing the curse of sin, right. not the blessedness of new life in Christ and God's kingdom coming forth. So, so anyhow, with all that being said, when he mentions Adam and Eve here, he points something out really interesting. Eve was deceived. And if you go back to the early first chapters of Genesis, uh, Adam is told by God, don't eat from this tree. He, it, we never see God tell Eve the same thing. It apparently is Adam's job to, to instruct Eve. And he doesn't do a very good job. And then he lets her be the guinea pig. And then when she doesn't die, then he... As he's clearly he, standing there. Yeah, yeah. And then it says it in the text, yeah, in yeah. the old Hebrew. It's yeah. like, he, and she handed it to her husband, who was with her. Right. So he's like, I, it's the first science experiment. Will she be struck dead? Nope, I'll try that food. And, uh, yeah. and so uh, Eve was not learned. She made a mistake because she had been deceived. She didn't know the full truth. 
Adam, on the other hand, knew the full truth. Interestingly enough, the Bible blames Adam, not Eve, I mean, for mm-hmm. sin entering the world. It's not, even though she eats at first. So with that being said is there's this point where women need to be instructed. Why do they need to be instructed? Because before you teach, you ought to learn. So when he says, you know, I don't, I don't permit a woman to have this um, dominating authority over a man, or he doesn't permit a uh, what Scott McKnight and N.T. Wright both say is, I don't permit basically an untrained, unlearned woman to be in a position of teaching. Paul, uh, in his most prominent letter, Romans, hands it off to a woman, Phoebe. Yeah. And it is Phoebe deliberate. who gives it to the church at Rome, which all scholars say whoever is like the deliverer is, is the reader. Is of the, the reader. Right. And so Phoebe is speaking and teaching. In fr- so if Paul's against this, he's breaking his own rules. So we, we just have to look at this and go, what is he getting at here? Yeah. He's getting at something very... And, and since I did read the childbearing thing, that appears to be an early shot against an abortion culture that was extremely common in mm-hmm. Rome at the time, mm-hmm. the, that, that reference. So we could talk about that one a lot longer, but we'll just leave that there. Our so next episode. Just Yeah, there we go. That'd be... <laughs> That'd be fun. Next time you're in town. Yeah, next time in town. Let's talk about something else. Um, so, okay, I just rambled on. Yeah, so those are the two big passages. That's right. So just quickly, what are, what are just some of those? I mean, we, okay, if, if, if women shouldn't teach yeah. or preach, if that's yeah. what is being said, yeah. but what about the cases where it seems that they are? Let's talk about that. Where they Can are just, teaching. Yeah, just yeah. throw out some of those. Like well, you know, the examples here's of, what of it actually happening, happening yeah. with the idea that, yeah. Okay, if if yeah. Paul meant yeah. Yeah. meant something, if he meant that, then why yeah, do we see this? What well, do we see in Scripture? I mean, just think about who is the earliest female influence on Jesus Christ and James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, yeah. their mom, yeah. Mary, and Mary plays a prominent role in the church and even in the currently in the Roman Catholic Church. There's great literal yeah. veneration for Mary mm-hmm. as being of such nobility and influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there's from the very beginning, there's Mary who has a, a, some role to play. We have to ask ourselves, how did Luke know or Matthew know about the birth stories? <laughs> and you might say, well, who was Jesus, there? <laughs> Jesus, maybe Jesus explained, except he was a baby. Now he is God, and I don't know how all that works together. I don't know if he told his own birth story to the fellows or not. But <laughs> most likely, because Mary was around quite a bit of the camp, yeah. most likely the stories of uh, Mary's visit with Elizabeth that is in Luke's gospel had to be told by Mary. Now, we might say, well, she was just telling Scripture, not teaching Scripture. But if I teach the same text, now I'm teaching it. But she didn't teach it, even though it was her story. So I don't know how you figure that one out. But but so Mary's certainly one of the first uh, teachers. And then uh, I mentioned Phoebe, who yeah. this is in Romans 16. You could go to Romans 16, and there's a litany of women that are referenced in Romans 16. One of the that women... Are those clear leaders. Uh, yeah. One of the women that's mentioned is Junia. And for the all the earliest manuscripts, the Latin Vulgate, all of the earliest documents, Junia is Junia, which is a, a woman. Female, yeah. And then somewhere, in fact, they've tracked it back. The scholars can look at the documents, and they, because Junia is regarded highly among the apostles, Junia, 
a woman is listed by Paul, referenced by Paul, as being uh, a woman who came to faith before he did, and she is called an apostle. Now, different people interpret apostle differently, but no question, this is the most prominent role in the early church. And she is esteemed highly among apostles. Now, if you look at different, um, different translations, different translations might have footnotes or they might even read like she was esteemed highly by the apostles because the way they uh, take a preposition, yeah. um, they, they, but the, the best manuscripts and the best scholars have to kind of go, I don't know, but she I'm was I'm going to say what the text said. She was appearing an apostle. And uh, now, now somewhere in there, some people tweaked the text and turned Junia into Junius, a dude, because that obviously Junia is an apostle, and they were like, that doesn't fit our script. And this is an interesting one. We can either read the Bible alongside tradition, or we can read it through the lens of tradition. And when we read it through the lens of tradition, then we're stuck. We're we're, we're dogmatic. But if we look at that, when we read that alongside tradition. It helps us. So all this to say is when, uh, when we get into this one, um, the, the dogmatic position that women couldn't be apostles, they changed it to a man's name. But yeah. it just sort of turns out that Junius isn't a man's name. Nobody in any single right. Greek manuscript was ever called Junius. And we've got lots of Greek. So we know it was not a man's name. And we actually know when, roughly, it turned from female to male, and it appears it was Martin Luther who did it. <laughs> so we won't blame him, and we don't know why. I'm not going to totally throw him under the bus. No, May we don't know why he did that. We'll just leave it alone. There were some people before him that did it, so he might have gotten some corrupted manuscripts. But the best manuscripts today, so you might find it in a footnote, but here's a lady who's an apostle, but this isn't... Um, and, and of course, there's Priscilla and Aquila, yeah. um, and Priscilla New Testament leaders in church. Yeah, New Testament leaders. They disciple one of the leading public yeah. preachers, Apollos. Really correct, really correcting him. Yes, and it was. Yes. Yeah, and she's labeled first. Yes. Before yeah, their names husband. are together. It's yeah. not like but Apollo. She comes first. Yeah, it's not like Aquila does it, and oh, he's married to Priscilla. And, yeah. and so uh, think about the the Philippian church was started by Lydia. I mean, she's the first host. She's the first disciple, the first convert. And then yeah. the second is the Roman jailer and his yeah. uh, his his family. So, yeah. And this is, the, we see this throughout the New Testament, but even in the foundation of the church. In Acts 2, uh, Paul, or uh, excuse me, Peter is defending all that's going on. And it's it, one of my, one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts. Peter, Peter says in defense of the people who are, who are proclaiming the name of Christ. He says, hey, men of Israel, these men, these people, they're not drunk as ye suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And I think that's a great verse because obviously Peter didn't grow up in my neighborhood. <laughs> my neighborhood was totally, there were some people drunk at nine in the morning or high. So anyhow, uh, apparently they didn't do that then. That was good. But uh, there are, there's all this work being done. And Peter says, didn't, don't you guys remember what the prophet Joel, Joel said? In those days, men and women, they're going to dream dreams and they're going to prophesy. I mean, so here we go. It's in the minor prophet of Joel that there's going to come a day when the Spirit of God is going to be poured forth on men and women. Yeah. And even women are going to have this role. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a big deal. And, of course, there's there's Old Testament witness to this as well. But so that's where... 
we land, that yeah. we want to see That's the right. prophet Joel and the words of That's Joel right. become reality. That's the, the yeah. New Testament age that we live in. That's yeah. where the Church of God has been. That's where we are as a church. I know that's where your church yeah. is, right. Bill, where you serve. Um, so we could go a long time oh, yeah. on this subject. Yeah. Um, and we know that it's not. It, it's one of those things that it's kind of in the news right now. And so yeah. that will be a timely, timely uh, conversation to have. Uh, Bill, how is is there a, any maybe key books if they want to go a little deeper? You might recommend for yeah, we sign you off. You know, one of the best books on this that goes into deep, deep weeds is a book called Blue Parakeet okay. by Scott McKnight. <laughs> and you would never find the book based upon you know the topic, right? right? Blue Parakeet. The title, yeah, yeah. And the first like two thirds of the book is like how to understand and interpret the Bible, and it's excellent. But if you just want to focus in on this topic, you can look at the chapter headings. And about the last quarter or third of the book is on yeah. this topic and how to understand and, and and apply it. And so I highly recommend that's Scott McKnight. Okay. And the book's Blue Parakeet. Okay. All right. Well, Bill, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on me. the first ever uh, Put the cookies on the bottom shelf, the bottom it shelf. A, it was an honor. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be with you. So uh, thanks for joining us. Hopefully that has been a helpful conversation as we think about uh, women in ministry uh, and what Scripture has to say. So thanks for joining us.